afternoon. You're very welcome uh, to Scariff Bay Community Radio and Local Media This Week, the programme where we look over the local papers, particularly the Clare Champion and the Clare Echo, and uh, we let you know maybe what's in them and we give our own take on them as well. we're delighted today to be joined by our uh, usual, and I'll start from the other end, David Fleming. You're very welcome. Thanks, Jim. Pat O'Brien. Pat, you're welcome too. Thanks, Jim. And John S. <coughs> Kelly is taking a little break this week, so we're joined uh, today by no less a person than Luke Fleming. Luke, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to you, Jim. So. So, we're um, looking at the, at the various papers. I suppose we'll start maybe on the front page. And on the front page, Pat, on, uh, on the, um, the Clare Echo, no future for 52 villages in Clare. That's a fairly startling headline. It is. Parliament um, McMahon is here in the, it's a leading article in the, in the Clare Echo. A rural community in Clare is at risk of dying out with plans to lease own lands in areas without wastewater infrastructure in the upcoming county development plan. An appeal for Clare County Council that private operators construct wastewater infrastructure in towns and villages where there is a demand, des- uh, desire and need for development was issued by elected representatives at, at Mondra's Council me- uh, sitting. Currently 52 of the 85 towns and villages in County Clare do not have adequate wastewater treatment systems. They include Andercrusha, Geiger Hall, Bearfield, Kilmele, Dool and Tubber Cree, Kilbaha, Meelik and O'Brien's Bridge. And uh, there's many others as well. Bro- <coughs> Broadford we're thinking and of as well? Yeah, Broadford, yeah. yeah. Um, if, the, if, if the county development plan is approved, it poses big questions on the future of over two thirds of the county in terms of future development and population. For me, it's a choice between having no town or village or taking a leap and taking a risk as it is a, a, a risk. It is a risk of accepting pr- uh, privately led infrastructure, monitoring it and making sure it is done to the highest standard of forgetting about the small towns or villages and saying we're, we're done, Councillor Joe Gary, Finnegale stated. So I suppose this is, this is probably serious. I suppose we, we've been talking about it there in recent weeks uh, about it as well. And um, I suppose that's why they, 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 they held up the county development plan because of some of the, those issues, let's say. Hmm. So, uh, but are they, are they suggesting that if a village doesn't have, and loads of them don't have infrastructure like that, that, um, that they're just going to be allowed to decay and that there's going to be no um, development there? I think, under the if if a developer uh, applied for planning permission to some of these towns and villages, they wouldn't get planning permission. So this is the problem. Do it, it, the door is closed already, isn't it? By by the sounds of it. Now inside uh, in the Clare Echo, Porrick continues the story. Um, with a proposal, a proposal was made by one of the councillors. Uh, I think. I can't see Councillor Murphy. I think um, wants the wants public-private partnerships to build uh, wastewater facilities. Now I don't know what you think of that. This would be Irish Water and a private developer coming into towns to actually do it, do the work, and uh, put in place this. Now it's an interesting solution, I think. Um, do you know of any good private public-private partnerships, David? 
Well, I thought the motorways were uh, public-private for a while. We pay tolls to somebody on those. Uh, I don't think it's the government. Mm, do you think the Limerick Tunnel is a good one? But <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, they can bear. work, and they and they don't work. Uh, to some it's certain projects, don't work. But in this case, I presume it's the developer. Uh, of let's say uh, the developer wants to put in an estate of 50 houses mm, yeah. and um, can't because of wastewater yeah. and and he offers to to fork off the fork up the money maybe and yeah. mm. I don't know I don't know but you're you're mm. at risk of basically then the villages that are classed as being in a sexy area yeah. might attract a developer yeah and more rural villages will be left to yeah. die I, I think this is uh, national-based, to the best of my understanding, that this isn't just, we'll say, a clear issue, mm. but that mm. this appears to be a policy countrywide. I'm open to correction on it, but uh, mm. uh, from reading some of the papers, that that's what it appears to be. Yeah, well, it looks like, I think, that if, if the, um, the councils, councillors don't uh, approve of the current development plan, the minister can come in and approve yeah, it himself. Yeah, he can, yeah. He can yeah. come in and yeah. impose it on them. So. Yeah, just joke only here. Um, plans to dezone land in in the deferred county development plan uh, where there is no wastewater treatment equated to turning off the key completely for parts of clear. Councillor Corney warned some rural villages will be dead in the water if we do. He informed the meeting that Mrs. Miss Queen had written to the Minister for Housing, Local Government and Heritage, Gallagher O'Brien, and his reply will be will be vital and very important. Mm. But presumably, you know, the county development plan is what? Is, is it a five-year plan or a ten-year plan? I'm not sure. Five. Five. Um, it, it takes a bit of time for wastewater treatment plants. And presumably in, a, in, in another five years, the land can be rezoned for property again. So, mm. I mean, the councillors are probably right to make an issue of it. Um, but ultimately, it still remains whether the county development plan says one or the other. It's, Ir it's Irish water that has to get its its acting gear for the whole country, as Luke was saying. And um, if but we, if we want more houses and we need more houses and we need I don't know how many fifty thousand a year is it? Uh, everything needs to be joined up: electricity, water. <coughs> And wastewater. But if in in a village or in the area surrounding a village, you have a community. And if development in the village is going to be stymied for the foreseeable future because mm. of this, mm. there's also the question of planning permissions, you know, in the, in the hinterland of the village. Mm. It's becoming more and more difficult mm. for mm. even mm. locals and natives to get planning permission. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean... But it is true to say that oh. areas are going to to die because if if this situation continues for yeah. for a long time. Well, you see, you see here um, in Scariff and Tomb Graney, not much building in the last few years. We have the wastewater treatment plant. Uh, Luke was able to tell us just before the show started that actually the census for the area, the numbers in the population has declined. Mm. So there are other factors at play. It's not just, I'd say, the wastewater. It is a factor, um, and particularly for <laughs> those areas that are attractive. Yeah, but if you look around East Clare, uh, we'll say in our catchment area for the radio station, I would be of the opinion that from a housing point of view, the village slash small town that has had the most building over the last 20 years is Tulla. Mm. And you even look at it now. And you, you see uh, they have a, a new secondary school. 
which is going to help to attract people mm. as well, you know. And that's why I'm saying that if you let, the, if the r- local populations in the villages are, if you can't build, you're not going to get people in. in no. You're not going to get people going, you know, say supporting the shops and probably more importantly, you're not getting them going to the schools. Well, so I think there's a hundred houses uh, been going to be uh, constructed in Toda in the next couple of years between yeah. what's going up now and uh, and, but and, the bank, yeah. and, the, and they closed the bank there last exactly, week. Exactly, yeah. But, mm. but, but even without those houses being built, Pat, if you, if you go back over 20 years, mm. there were a huge amount of houses built in Tulla. Was yeah. it, there was a, a certain amount of apartments and a certain number of houses built in Killaloo, a truckload across the border, but that's mm. another uh, argument. But in most other villages around our catchment yes, area, very, yeah. very little. Like very, not yeah. very much in Kilkishan, no. not, not very much in the mills. No. Mm. You know. Tulla, of course, is ideally situated where, where it's close to Ennis, 15 minutes from Ennis, exactly. 20 but minutes from Shannon. Yeah, but you, Jim, you, you could potentially see, and, and I, I think myself to an extent it's possibly there, you look at the two secondary schools that have got big upgrades or developments in East Clare, are Killaloo and Tulloch. Yeah. Mm. Yes. And you know, so that, I said, you know, the, the bill that they will come, yeah. but, but it's going to be at they, the expense they of They both those. had wastewater treatment facilities, didn't they? Mm. So, I mean, that's the bit, you need the basic infrastructure and then you can build it and then they will come. <laughs> yes. So, so uh, now, in terms of the, let's say, the, the boom, the Celtic tiger that was there, the, the, wastewater facility in Scarifant from Graney, which was built about 10 years ago, was a few years too late for mm. that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, whether that's a good thing or a bad no, thing yeah. is, is no, but, a but, but, point. But, but technically, Jim, there are sites around both Scarifant and Tom Graney that could be built on. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. Aren't and and yeah. it will remain zoned, presumably. No, this is the thing, apparently, oh, it's that, not that, 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 they, uh, that that's going to be taken away in certain areas. Mm. That, that, that is part of what the, the, this is what the councillors are giving out about in relation yeah. to that. And, I, and I, I, I'm open to correction, but I think it's a national directive that they have to basically, the councils have to de-zone by a certain percentage. Mm. And I think this is what, where it, it's been targeted at. Yes. Okay. So, so uh, now we, we, we should see then uh, if there is a list of these places that are dezoned, 52 out of 85. It doesn't mention Scarif or Tomb Graney, but obviously they can't mention all 52. Pori can't mention all 52 of them. So we should check it out mm-hmm. uh, in the council Pretty website. Your, your schools and everything else would, would suffer as well in villages. Like you have new schools in villages, and some of them might have to close the door mm-hmm. eventually. Mm-hmm. It, uh, okay, it, 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 it we, out we in, in probably depth. need on, on Saturday Chronicle or something to have a chat with the councillors, you know, to get a bit of detail yeah, perhaps yeah, about yeah. East Clare and, yeah, and what's yeah, envisaged. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, now that David is back this week, um, we can talk about <laughs> Shannon. <laughs> Shannon. <laughs> My favourite topic, Jim. <laughs> I'm delighted you held yourselves. <laughs> Well, there's one good piece of news anyway, and that is that the Lufthansa Technic plant is being um, purchased by AAG. Well, uh, it's good news and bad news, Jim. Yeah, it's, it's good news if you're one of the 300 who, who, whose jobs are being retained. That's right. Or bad news for the 180 who will lose their jobs as part of this acquisition. Uh, it's page three of the Clare Champion. Owen Ryan has the story. Uh, 
Lufthansa uh, LTSL sale to bring to result in up to 180 job losses. Around 180 jobs are expected to be lost following the acquisition of aircraft maintenance company Lufthansa Technique uh, Shannon Limited. Uh, LTSL by Atlantic Aviation Group, which we understand is already in Shannon, already working there and employing people. Uh, LTSL currently employs 485 people, and in a statement it acknowledged that jobs are set to go as a result of the deal. But it's, it's as you say, Jim, the good news is that it's being maintained um, and that the, the, because it's, it's quite an important feature of the airport zone, shall we call it. Um, and uh, Pat Shine, the CEO and MD of Lufthansa Technique, Shannon Limited, said that despite the job losses, the company had chosen the least worse option. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's 300 jobs in, in the Midwest. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a lot of, uh, it it's, has an impact on the economy um, and, and the loss of those jobs would have a very negative impact. They fix planes, is that what they do? Oh yeah, but all yeah. Yeah. some spray paint and all that. Spray yeah. Painting, yeah. Yeah. But the the um, I had them and the radio the morning as well, and then um, was they were fairly confident that the 180 people that had job losses here would be taken up because there's other companies in the state who are doing the same type of work, and that they, they, they'll be they'll probably be be all taken in eventually right. in, in in time into other other into you'd, you'd, other you'd hope hmm. with hopefully a bit of a recovery in the aviation the industry, industry in general yeah. with yeah. planes back in the sky yeah, yeah. you know they're, well, they're back up in the sky they need more maintenance as well that loss that 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 recovery um we're seeing the we're seeing the we're looking into the past, really, um, in, again, a story from Owen Ryan on page four of The Champion. Airport turnover down 28 million in 2020, as it posts 36.6 million loss. And that, that's just telling you how, how harsh the COVID, uh, the coronavirus uh, pandemic was in the airport. A newly filed financial statement from the Shannon Airport Authority illustrates the damage done in a disastrous 2020. Turnover had been 46 million in 2019, but it fell to 17.3 million in 2020, so it more than halved. Um, while there had been a profit of 2.7 million in 2019, last year saw a loss of 9 million before exceptional items and of the 36.6 million when they were included. So. Uh, you'd you'd you certainly be hoping, wouldn't you, um, for a much better? But uh, I was flying. I wasn't flying out of Shannon, but I was flying uh, from Dublin Airport, and it seemed to me, anyway, that great numbers were resuming flights in and out of the country. Maybe not to the levels that that are, that we would expect normal business to be, but uh, it's certainly it's certainly kicking off. Yeah. Well, we all we can hope is that, uh, that Shannon will be, you know, will benefit from that as time mm. goes on at a, at a smaller scale. Um, look, there's been suggestions of uh, a Shannon-based airline. Yes, uh, mm. our, our our local uh, senator uh, Timmy Dooley has uh, uh, come come out with uh, that that idea. Now, I think to, to shut down, pardon the pun, in in the cha in the champion. But uh, Porrick has... Uh, th there's two articles, actually, in uh, page 14 of the Echo. Uh, Dooley suggests it's time for Shannon Airport to set up its own airline. 
Would it be called Dooley Air? Uh, well, you never know. <laughs> uh, uh, Porrick McMahon has, has the two articles, and uh, the chair, chairperson designate of Shannon Group, Patrick O'Kadig, said Dooley's suggestion was, quote, very interesting and entrepreneurial. It is thinking outside the box. It also sets a challenge that is outside the box and is well worth investigating. I know all about setting up and building an airline. It's a huge challenge. It's a different business model from an airport model. Having said that, we would not be the first airport to consider doing something like that. Hmm. That's the type of comment I like here coming from a man that's going to be in charge of the airport. I said, because Shannon, whatever about, you know, things, a bit of outside the box thinking, I think is definitely needed to start to try and uh, get it back up and running and hopefully be a success. Mm. Willie Walsh but wasn't in total agreement, though. No, he wasn't. I think, is it in the champion path? Uh? Yeah, um, a former Aer Lingus, uh, Walsh dismisses Dooley's airline ideas crazy on page 11 of the, the Clare Champion. Uh, a former Lingus and British Airways chief executive has dismissed this crazy Senator Timmy Dooley's suggestion that Shannon Airport staff its own airline. Speaking in RT Radio Morning Ireland on Tuesday, Willie Walsh, Director General of International Air Transport Association, stamps in Dooley's proposal for Shannon to staff its own airline. I think it's madness. I hear lots of crazy ideas from politicians, but this probably is one the most crazy ones I've ever heard, said Mr. Walsh. An airport should be focused on running an airport. Running airlines and running airports are two completely different things, he said. Our leisure senator duly hit back at Walsh in a strong statement. The reality is that I would have expected Willie Walsh to say something like that. Willie Walsh is a corporate captain who wants everything centralised, uncomplicated, and the likes of Shannon Airport and the needs of peripheral regions flies completely in the face of everything he, he stands for. Something tells me, Pat, that you'd be going along with <laughs> Timmy Dooley in that remark. Yeah, most, yeah. Definitely, <laughs> most definitely, I'd have no time for Willie Walsh, because when, when there was uh, slots taken out of Shannon up to Belfast, he was, the, he was in charge at that time. Mm. And he was very a very successful he, businessman, though, isn't he? he was, yeah, but he had, to bring him, he, had to, he had to go around and bring him back again. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was a lot of opposition, but that was the government, I'd say, that forced them to do that. They were brought back to Shannon. Yeah, I remember about ten years ago. The 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 I suppose the corollary of that idea was, people were suggesting now the 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 crash had hit, and instead of thirty something destinations from Shannon, there were there was maybe five or six. but it was suggested that time that Shannon Airport should be handed over to Michael O'Leary yeah, well, to run it. Well, I'm just going to sort of make two, two points that um, I'm led to believe that there are seven or eight uh, Boeing 737 Maxes lying on the runway in Shannon for the last year and a half lying idle because the plane was grounded in relation to the few accidents that took place in relation to it. That plane can fly transatlantic. I said I've been on it uh, going transatlantic. We said there the Norwegian uh, Airways that went bust. But would it not make sense to perhaps come up with a, a O'Leary Dooley Airlines? <laughs> yeah. And get it starting up and doing, you know, if you if if you had a small fleet of planes and started transatlantic, that, yeah. and you wouldn't be dependent on Aer Lingus. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Well, the, you know, they, they did say like, you know, in 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 I don't know, was it in this paper where I see, uh, well, they could. There's a lot of planes. Um, uh, a lot of leasing companies yeah. now have loads of planes and nobody in them, and mm. that they could be leased uh, cheaply enough, you know. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And no better man to negotiate a good deal than the bowl Michael O'Leary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? well, I thought o- O'Leary was planning to do, at some stage, transatlantic, but well, it didn't work talks, for him. Talks, yeah, but yeah. I, I think, you yeah. know, again, at scale, they'd need to do something. Now, I, I, it's probably fanciful, but it would be something that we could potentially uh, get, 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 get done. There's another story there as well. Uh, backing, backing to make okay the full time. Uh, while the position of chairman of the board of Shannon Group is a part time one, there has been a suggestion that the current crisis a role should be up, the role should be upgraded. Although he is being appointed as part time non-executive chair of Shannon Group, Paulie Gokeda said he would make himself available for a full time role. Claire TD Michael McNamara asked him what the difference between a non-executive and an executive chairman of all is, and the Galvin Agent said there's the primary difference is, as I see it, between, between executive and non-executive chair is that a part-time role, the primary role is chairing board meetings, there's eight to ten of them in the year, leasing, lasting two to three hours, sometimes longer, the executive chair is a full-time role, its primary, it's primary difference that's the primary difference. Asked if there would be scope for an executive chair, he agreed, giving the crisis at Shannon. I actually think we're in a very particular situation in, and relation to aviation, I think, regardless of the person, of the person is that an executive chair is critical to Shannon Airport, quite frankly, in the short to medium term. Hmm. Yeah. So it's a good point, Pat, and there's a bit uh, Porrick McMahon would say has a, an article on page 14, as I alluded to earlier, he's a second article in relation to, it covers most of that as well, but then there's also a little bit of a joke in it in relation to, um, uh, you know, what do you think would bring a bigger crowd to uh, Shannon Airport, uh, a cabinet meeting or Duffy Circus? And, and uh, <laughs> Deputy McNamara said uh, the airport would be better off bringing Duffy Circus, Shannon, because at least would bring a crowd (laughs) (laughs) we'll have to get those lines in the air Mm. okay shall we will we leave Shannon at that stage I'm just looking there I suppose to change the mood completely uh, on page uh, 29 I think of the Clare Echo is a, a group of pages all with the idea of helping you to organize your Christmas party this year we're in the, the middle it's of... It's not even October. Halloween, Jim. It's not even Halloween, Jim. <laughs> no. And you've decided that to raise the, the C word. And I'll tell you, page 29, there's no social distancing between these two people who have drinks in their hand, Santa Claus hats, and they're looking very happy now to be... <laughs> they well, both are, so I think they've done well. Perhaps uh, they're in the one bubble. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's there's several pages, and they always say, uh, book early for your Christmas party. Um, so lo- loads of different places, mostly in Ennis, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, plan the perfect party. There's eight, there's eight items. Get planning now. Get out of the office, because we were all we weren't in the office yes. last year, but we also weren't having Christmas parties. Send an invite. Decide on a Christmas party theme. What's the Scarif Bay Christmas party theme this year going to be, Jim Collins? I, uh, I haven't considered it yet. 
We'll go back to no, point number one. Get planning now. Yes. Point five. Include a competition. Six. Plan a great menu. Treat everyone like guests uh, to your own party. And eight. Take lots of photos. Uh, but you know, David, there's an important thing on a few pages on. It talks about etiquette at the Christmas party. <laughs> and I think it could best be described as what goes on tour stays on tour. <laughs> <laughs> so whatever Pat O'Brien does yeah. at the Scarif Bay party, we won't mention it. Exactly, 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 exactly. <laughs> discretion, discretion, of course. So, yeah, I, I anyway. suppose in a way, um, obviously the the Echo is a, an advertisement-driven paper, and that you know they don't charge for the paper. Yeah. But it's actually it's a good idea hmm. in a way. You know, yeah, it's a, a fair, fair, fair play, and uh, I suppose you can say at least there are places out there that hopefully that it gives an indicator that hopefully this Christmas might be a little bit more normal than last year. That's right. Yes, and it gives people in offices and staff rooms and things like that you know, uh, something to talk about and, well, and exactly. look forward to. It, it might actually revive the Christmas party. I know the Christmas parties are always popular, but you know, there's some people who will never go who might yeah. actually go this year for the crack. They're okay. saying here to dress appropriately. The Alpha's Christmas party is not a time or place to turn up wearing a, a hilarious slogan t-shirt or a tie-high miniskirt. Now, Pat, you no. would never be wearing a tie-high <laughs> miniskirt, would you? You'd you, be a Christmas keep jumper of choice, Pat, and that'd be it. So, it's yeah. a, it's a, keep it classy, people. <laughs> Having said that, if your Christmas party involves an outdoor activity of some kind of workshop, don't show up wearing a ball gown or a tuxedo. These are extreme examples, but you get the gist. Yes. Okay. Excellent advice there in the Clare Echo. You can read it all from, I said, page 29 on. Uh, just, I suppose, a brief mention. We've talked about this last week when, when Carl was here. Uh, overcrowding in UHL, and it seems to be getting worse and worse. It's there on the front page. Uh, David, maybe you yeah, might have a look Dan, there Danaher, the yeah, that Dan Danaher has the story. UHL, which is University Hospital Group Limerick, breaks pandemic record for patients kept on trolleys. Overcrowding at University Hospital Limerick is continuing to create records for the wrong reasons after 91 patients were left waiting for a hospital bed on Tuesday. UHL continues to record the highest number of patients on trolleys this week and the level of overcrowding is considerably worse than most acute hospitals throughout the country. So, I mean, this happens every year and it always happens around the same time of year and probably as we go up to Christmas and into January, it'll get worse. Um... And COVID hasn't helped, obviously, and the cyber attack probably is all contributing to these things. But it goes back to a basic point that um, our health service is not fit for purpose. Yeah, it is. And, and there's nothing else probably to it. And mm. yeah, but we, we seem to be throwing money at it on a regular basis, but uh, we, yeah. we, we get the same result. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's why you saw probably the, the people on Slauncher Care who are, you know, are the professionals uh, from the medical point of view trying to see a solution and being frustrated, uh, apparently, at the lack of political and civil servant will to do anything about it, to reform it. Okay. Yeah, there's, a, a, there's yeah. an awful lot of people involved as well, and between you have consultants and you have doctors and you have the. Mm. There's a huge amount of of of, of, of different groups, and uh, I suppose they all maybe want their own. Path they, all ha they all, they exactly. They all have their own interests. Um, but this is where you need political will, Pat, don't you, yeah. to mm. step above the, yeah. the fray. 
Yeah. Um, and, and said this is what it Exactly, this is what's needed. Okay. Pedestrianisation of Ennis. It's something I've never been able to come down on one way or the other, my, in my own opinion. Um, I know the council are, I think it's in both of the papers, both the Clare Echo and the Clare Champion, that the council are surveying what the future should be in relation to the... I think it, it came during the lockdown. And, and, you know, business wasn't good in any town, in least of all Ennis, and the streets were empty of cars. I, I imagine the business people are against the pedestrianisation of Ennis. Certainly a good few of them are anyway. But well, uh, yeah, business people in every town where pedestrianisation is proposed always think it will reduce business. But I would suggest, look at the places where pedestrianisation has worked or at least where I think pedestrianisation has worked, and I think of Galway, uh, a large section of, of, of the city there, and it's, look at the footfall, literally the footfall, it's always that street, I don't, can't remember the name Shops, of that, Shop, Shop Street, street. Yeah. it's always busy. Now maybe it's because Galway is a very attractive place anyway, and maybe they'd be there anyway if there were cars up and down. But Ennis, because it's, Ennis is a lovely medieval town, it's, it's got small little streets, it's got long, small little laneways. I, I've, I've... That would oh. be university town. Yes. Oh, sorry, yes. Yeah. Uh, now, <laughs> medieval now to a university yeah. town. Um, but... The small path there going down O'Connell Street. I've, uh, when I went to Ennis first, I, I felt my life was at risk sometimes with the cars coming down. There's no parking, of course, along O'Connell Street, so the business people can't be complaining about parking well, on the street. Well, there is very limited Very parking. limited. Very yeah. limited. You'd, you wouldn't think of parking on O'Connell Street if you were going into town, would you? Well, if you could find a spot, you would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd be very, you'd be very I wonder, I'm thinking of the other day now, we were up in Ennis and we were up near the, the little square there at the Clare Champion and there were two restaurants open and, and were remaining open in the evening. Yeah. I, I've always reckoned this, we'll say O'Connell Street, Abbey Street, that sent spine yeah. of the town. Yeah. It seems when the half five ding dong goes on the cathedral clock, yeah. they seem to prepare to shut and by six o'clock there's nothing yeah. apart from maybe a couple of bars and yeah. thing, you know, yeah. th there's no life to the place. Yeah. It really shuts down yeah. in the evening. Yeah. I, I, I think... And would you say that pedestrianisation would, would maybe encourage a nightlife like that? Well, I would say that if pedestri if, if the nightlife didn't happen, pedestrianisation would, would still be a disaster. I think... Oh. It, you know, it needs to it needs to open. Yeah. And yeah. it needs yeah. to stay yeah. open. Yeah. Uh, and encourage people yeah. to come in. But during COVID, I, at one stage, we did go into Ennis, and O'Connell Street was effectively pedestrianised, I think, or parts of the parts of the Ennis was pedestrianised, and I thought it worked pretty well, and it has worked well in other places as well, where they have closed off, because simply the cars weren't coming there anyway, and the businesses were closed. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I think Ennis is an ideal place for pedestrianisation. I'm going to... I'm going to because we're all being encouraged to... Um, to submit our views. There's a public survey to seek views. This is page 12 now, this is what Jim has referred to. Public survey to seek views on potential pedestrianization measures for Ennis. Anybody can make a comment, um, not just people in Ennis. It's open for a two week period from October 15th. So it's open now uh, to October 29th. 
and uh, uh, you can I, I can't see the website but it says here if you have any queries regarding the above please email nsmunicipaldistrict at clarecoco.ie and uh, there's a phone number could, as well you can go to the library in Scarif or uh, Killaloo and uh, submit your thoughts you can but and I think there is there is actually a website there as well HTPPS uh, two backslashes yoursay.clarecoco.ie backslash Ennis Pedestrianisation. Anyway, Google Ennis Pedestrianisation, you'd get mm. it. And you're looking at page 11 page of the uh, Page 12 of the, uh, of the Echo. But like, yeah. is, the survey, is that survey basically not um, a sort of a bit of a, a response to the backlash that happened when they said that, you know, that they were going to keep a certain amount of pedestrianisation? Like, if you want to look at uh, the neighbours over in Limerick, uh, in relation to you know cycle paths and stuff like that, now I remain to be convinced that the cycle lane uh, blocking off one lane of traffic on the Shannon Bridge is going to benefit that that many people. But again, I could be open to correction on that. But mm. you know, is it's all very easy, well and easy having places um, pedestrianised when all the businesses are closed yeah. because you know, it's 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 theft. Yeah. You're trying to have businesses there. That's the reason you yeah. want people but there. I think yeah? Ennis would become a very attractive place and will bring people in the same way Galway brings people in and a large section of Cork City is pedestrianised as well. It brings people in and they, they will mull and they will stop and hopefully shop and spend money. Whereas if you're on that path going down to O'Connell yeah. Street, you're, mm. you're, you're, you're determined to keep going. Yeah. Um, that's what I do, especially if it's raining. Uh, here's an idea. Why don't they, they cover that street? Yeah, the, the, I think the, the council has discussed that there a few years ago yeah. about, uh, about covering some of the, mm. the town, yeah. Mm. Pat Short's great line, Ireland would be a great country if you could only <laughs> put a roof, <laughs> a roof on it. Listen, we've reached our halfway point, uh, and at this point every <laughs> week we ask Pat to have a trawl through his musical collection. And see uh, what he's come up with. Well, uh, I think it's in both papers there this week. Tony McMahon for me is a great accordion player. Uh, he passed away during the week. Uh, he was well known in RT and, and many radio programs, including including the Pure Drop, and many more traditional programs and on radio and television. Um, he, age, he was age eighty two. Uh, he wasn't well in recent years, but. Um, He's great. Uh, it's an um, affiliation to his player because his niece, uh, Mary McNamara, which is great. She's a great concertina player up in Tullows, and um, and a great teacher. T- yeah, a teacher of music would be his niece. So we'll have Tony McMahon this week, and we'll we'll just have um, have sympathy to his uh, issue some sympathy from the Scarlet Bay Community Radio to his uh, family and nieces and nephews and all all related to him. So we'll have um, Noel Hill and Tony McMahon, uh, and, the, and the, the name of the tune is The New, the New Moon Meadow. You're very welcome back. You're listening to local media this week on Scarif Bay Community Radio, and there you heard the the late and great Tony McMahon playing there with Noel Hill. Um, 
just one one thing we didn't get to in the first part of the show, uh, Pat. I see there on page eight of the Clare Champion, uh, there's an article on Cooperative Housing Ireland launches new homes in new market. What's that about? Yeah, just uh, on Tuesday of uh, Tuesday of the launch of twenty one. Uh, bear a three rated homes at Glen Cora in the and Fagus, which have been provided by um, approved housing body Cooperative Housing Ireland. All of the houses are now occupied, and the chairperson of Cooperative Housing Ireland, uh, Pierce O'Shield, said development like this in Glen Cora in the and Fagus are of vital importance. Housing need is is often seen as a Dublin issue or an issue for large cities. However, recent reports have highlighted the dramatic increase in rent outside of the large cities. Year on year, we have increased from 11.4 for Clare. Uh, this has been even more dramatic at 17.5. Homes provided by CHI are affordable and provide security of tenure not experienced before by many of our members. It's, it's our hope that Glen Cora can go some way in achieving housing needs here and there. Hmm. And uh, Peter Ryan was there on, on hand to, to uh, cut the ribbon. Hmm. Yeah, it was a great, it was a great idea, sure, and um, some people, there's 31 people going to be... Uh, Accommodation have, have, no, have, no, have no homes, yeah. yeah. Mm. And Pierce, of course, is, is a resident of Mount Shannon, yeah. mm. so mm. well yeah. known in, in East Clare. Could mm. we dare suggest that they be given a bit more land in our rural villages and that they could maybe uh, yeah. get a bit of building done? done. Yeah. Mm. yeah, because they, they certainly they have done work right around the country, mm. uh, you know, and very good work. Uh, and they've delivered. Yes. They have indeed. Well, a, lot, a lot of those building agencies d- deliver, deliver on price and they deliver on time. Yeah. And, and you, you had some of them in Dublin there and North Dublin as well. Where they, where, uh, right where, I don't know, where you'd imagine everything is very dear and they, they built very reasonable houses for yeah. people. Mm. And um, in the north of the city there, uh, and those cooperative housing people um, came, in, came in on time and, and, mm. and, and uh, got them done at the price that was supposed to be done. It. Yeah. Why, why is it in state building? You know, my own experience would be in school building, but mm. it's the same in everything. Most things, the price goes through the roof. Because, well, I suspect partly um, developers or builders or whoever they might be, pr- suppliers, know that because it's the state paying, you can add an extra 10%. I think it might be a factor. Uh, there are probably several other factors. There's the tendering process. That mightn't be always up to scratch. But but I think why is it cheaper? It, 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 the cooperative movement, which started in this country a long time ago, over a hundred years ago, has been very successful. I'm surprised that it hasn't that we don't do things more by way of co-op. Uh, I noticed, Jim, something close to your heart. Um, it the credit union. The credit union is a cooperative. Uh, and in the back page there, I know we're, we wanted to come to it, but we yeah, could come we're, to it we're, now. We're page, at it now. Page 22, um, it's International Credit Union Day, October 21st, and all the credit unions are there. But they can do things that banks can't. Um, they are community-led are by, by local individuals. Uh, all of the all the ones there are the Dirk Credit Union is is mentioned there the Kilrush one um, Saint Francis Credit Union I don't know where that is that's Ennis Ennis and um, and Ennis Diamond equal ownership not for profit you see that's the thing uh, that's why kind of cooperatives uh, can bring in things a little bit more economical because they don't want to make a profit on it mm-hmm. 
social purpose, again, that's exactly what cooperatives do, volunteer leadership, which we've mentioned, uh, and two other things, financial education for members, credit unions place particular importance on educational opportunities for their members and the public to help everyone become better educated consumers for financial services, and that's... And that, and that, is, that, that is very, very true, and it exactly how it operates, mm. in the sense that when you let's say, go sa to save in the credit union, or if you want to borrow from the credit union, uh, they, those involved in the credit union will, will explain to you, you know, what you need to do and why you need to do it. Mm, mm, you know, for mm. example, that you build up a savings habit, because yeah. if you build up a savings habit, then you'll be able to repay as over a period, yeah. like, you know, like, you're saved, like you saved, you can repay. Exactly, exactly. And and the last one is trust, and, and that's critical for any type of cooperative, particularly for uh, one dealing with finances. I just noticed here, Jim, actually, the uh, Dirk Credit Union is celebrating 50 years this year. Uh, they were founded in 1971. They were indeed, and I know the Saturday Chronicle, I think Marie and Trish, at the end of the, I think the last Saturday in October, they are presenting from... Uh, Credit Union here in, in Scarif. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a, and there's a book coming out as well. Our friend from Mogonlo, Jim O'Brien, has, uh, you know, the last time I saw him, he was in the middle of it anyway, putting a book together uh, on the story of Derg Credit Union. Mm. So um, that's, I think, due to be launched as well over the next few weeks. Mm. But um, and we congratulate Derg Credit Union and all the credit union moves. Of course, Scarif Bay Community Radio is a cooperative as well. And you see, and, this, and is the, this is it, you see. This, the, the, this is the, uh, and the cooperative movement was pioneered in Ireland, it has to be said, and, and, and it's particularly for the dairy and the agricultural sector. Uh, very powerful co-ops developed. Um, we seem to have let it go a little bit, um, but that example of the housing cooperative is something, and of course we do have a cooperative here in, in, in Scarif as well, which is um, involved in uh, uh, the community garden, that sort of cooperative, that's, that's right. there as well. But uh, we should we should support them, I think. Yeah. Okay, we'll go on. Um, usually we spent the second part of uh, this program here, local media this week, we're talking in local issues. And um, I see two publications have um, are, are getting plenty of column inches this week. First of all, Martin Hayes, Martin, of course, uh, from the fecal, fecal area, and uh, he's after publish, publishing his memoirs, and it says Martin's mm. memoir in the Clare Champion on page, page 13, mm -hmm. yeah, shares a rich musical history, and I suppose the, the Martin Hayes really is, is world-renowned Pat at this stage. Oh yeah, so Martin is, 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 is he's known all over, really, yeah. and um, um, he's a new book out, um, Fiona has it here on the stair page, Martin's memoir shares a rich musical history, renowned East Clare fiddle player Martin Hayes has published an e eagerly awaited memoir detailing his remarkable musical journey, described as profoundly moving, the book is entitled Shared Notes, it traces Martin's early days learning music from his legendary father, PJ through his meteoric rise in traditional music circles through his modern day collaborations and founding of the Irish American trad sensations gloaming. Now one of Ireland's most treasured traditional musicians, Martin lives in Spain and has, was born in Mara 
as he grew up, his life revolved around a famous solitary band co-founded by his father in 1946. The household was steeped in traditional music. So it is, um, mm. it is great to see Martin coming out with a, a new book on his, um, his, his life and his, his um, uh, when he was living in East there and uh, so he's played all over the world really. I was, um, I was talking to somebody, well, I was talking to Anthony Linehan yesterday and he said there was, there was I think he's a concert in, in Gore tonight and uh, he's probably doing something on the book I think as well and does an interview and all that. But there's people mm. coming down from Drogheda down to Gore tonight mm. to... to I'd say they'd be. Concert. I'd say all over the place because uh, I I see in the same article there, Pat, that uh, he teaches in my own institution in the Irish World Academy. He has an honorary doctorate in music from NUI Galway. So I think he has he has a wide range of followers and people who respect him a great deal. Yeah, I remember being in a, in the Three Arena a few years ago in Dublin or the Point. With um, Paul Simon was was in concert and we went to it, and who appears out halfway through the first half of the show except Martin Lynch, and no. himself and Paul do a duet together, and yeah. they repeated that in the second half of the show Lovely. as well. Yeah. So yeah. you know it's yeah. brilliant to yeah. see uh, such an international sensation Indeed. as Paul Funny Simon fair. and. There, Martin, Martin Hayes. Hayes up with him. You know, he appreciates... I thought you were going to say Martin Hayes was the international <laughs> sensation. <laughs> well, and he is too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the living section of the Clare Champion has memoir paints very colourful picture of 1940s Scarif. And I think, uh, you know, none of us remember 1940s Scarif, but... Uh, uh, David, you were taken with some of the descriptions well, there. I, I was. I was. Ta- I, I, I'm very much looking forward to getting this book. This book is called "Nice Little Title" on this one. There might be a drop of rain yet, and mm-hmm. it's written by just published and written by Brendan Lynch, who was who is 84 years old and the son of a Scarif teacher, Siobhan Lynch, presumably. Uh, we have many people may n- never have even <coughs> been taught by her. Maybe they have, uh, but they'd be very old, I suspect, by now. Um, he's living in Dublin, but uh, the memoir chronicles how Brendan grew up in the 1940s and his connections to Clare and Tipperary after his father transferred as a guard, the sergeant from Scarif. Um, and uh, it 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 recounts um, some wonderful events uh, in the uh, in Scarif and beyond. The big event of each year was the return by bicycle to Scarif for summer holidays. Um, from Raheen Hospital, they soared down into Tomb Graney. Brendan recalled, "Welcome home." Call over later, former school friend Polly Garvey waved across her front garden wallflowers. And later on, uh, uh, he talks about uh, his parents chatted with the blacksmith. uh, While his parents chatted with the blacksmith, which I presume must be the the forge there that is uh, practically falling down near the health centre there. I presume anyway that might be the place. Which was Lahav's forge. Yeah. Brendan raced up the hill to his grandparents, two steps above the footpath, opposite Sparling's Bakery, and people might remember Sparling's, where Grandfather Dennis Moore worked. They kept open house with the kettle always boiling on the hob. Under Prince, now this is what really took me, under Prince of Napoleon's retreat and the Battle of Cremona, visitors took snuff and played cards until the early hours. 
Howled your diamond till the last, his grandmother would say, <laughs> her chair creaking as she outwitted her 45 companions. Yet again, that's the, the card game, uh, 45. Yes. But I think, Jim, you were taken by, by the fair days, the, the memories of, of well, fair days. Yeah, I was looking there, the, the, fa- the banter at the fair days, and I can remember the fair days in Scarif. Um, I mean, one exchange, five pounds for that animal, five pounds of good meal would hardly bring her back to life. <laughs> And some, so, someone, an accomplice who, who was with the guy trying to get his, the beast as cheap as, as he could. You'd read the Clare Champion through the poor beast's ribs. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you're listening there to, uh, to, to the editor of the Clare Champion, there's a way now to sell the paper. Now, the, the other, then the buyer and the seller spat on their hands when they eventually made the deal. And uh, the guy who sold the, the, the beast said, by God, you have an Innes show winner there. The seller said as he counted his notes. And the retort was, the only show's the one I've made of myself. I need a pint to recover. So I remember the the banter that used to yeah, take place. Yeah, and, the, yeah. you know, you, you'd try and do down the animal as much as you could. To, to, to point get out a, her fault to get a better price to get a better price yes yeah, but yeah. of course if you were selling the animal you, you did, a, did a rock he, he, tied, did he, a tied, rock. he tied the animal into a telegraph pole and they all squeezed into Bolton's, Bolton's <laughs> that's <pole. laughs> and that's where it was all going to end anyway yeah. but the other th- the other thing um, he says at the start of the fair they one uh, w- w- oil tanker driver said Dick Grimes he has this great memory imagine an 84 year old recalling events in the 1940s like this you can't bait the fair day for excitement and then the other fella says you mean for the rivers of shite and piss <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway the book the book it only costs 15 euro it's it's if you're in Dublin you can get it in Hodges Figgis which is that probably one of the best bookshops in the country on Dawson Street but I'd say for us down here we might have to go directly to Mountjoy Publishing uh, by emailing mrg-lynch at yahoo.ie uh, one hopes that he might send a, send a few copies down to Maraid Bands so yeah. we might oh, be able to yeah. buy it there yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a chapter in the book. It is a book. chapter. Yeah. It is yeah. probably about his childhood, yeah. And, and he's a little bit there as well. And, and before each election, there were arguments and occasional punch-ups between the opposing civil war factions. Yes. <laughs> God, yeah. you'd love a bit of excitement like that around us. <laughs> our, our politicians are very meek these days, aren't they? They are. Anyway, if you walk over <coughs> to Drewsborough, if you're out for a, an evening for a walk, David, um, I occasionally am. Or, in that or, or Luke, even indeed, you're liable to Luke. You're liable to get a drenching uh, as you walk along past the community college. Oh well, no, I know that's an article that's in the Champion, Jim, and um, I, I, I'd have to question uh, Dan Danaher in relation to the timing of this article because <laughs> I, I, I don't want to call it fake news. <laughs> <laughs> But I think it's old news. Old news. Uh, Because uh, this was mentioned in uh, another publication uh, previously. And I know uh, one day after we left a recording for this show uh, on the way home, 
uh, I could actually see that works were being done. I, I, of course, it is the busiest footpath in the country and for uh, in the county, in the county uh, yeah. and that, that has recently been repaired further over along the road. I, I suppose for people wondering where are we talking about, it's basically it is um, a small part of uh, the path, we'll say, between um, where the Quilch office is and, we'll say, the old entrance to the school. And yeah. uh, uh, the man I'd say that is most upset about all this is the person that had the contract to paint the wall, because uh, <laughs> every year or two or three times a year that wall was get, it looked quite resplendent oh, for oh, about two or three days that's right. after it was painted and then it was covered in uh, various uh, pieces of dirt uh, because uh, if a rain fell it was flooded and the uh, we said the the wall was struggling but uh, yeah uh, Dan says anyway that. Um, uh, we said Pat Hayes will say it was informed that vi- at a recent district uh, municipal meeting, which I'd say was I'd say two months ago, I think possibly. Uh, visitors walking in this area were splashed with a pool of dirty water by a passing truck recently, forcing them to return to their bed and breakfast for a change of clothes. Now, That's a scandalous. Well, isn't it? I, I can remember getting soaked <laughs> myself on many an occasion, walking over there. And, and did uh, you return home to yeah. get changed? Well, I really think you suffered it after time. I, it was like that when I was going back to school, and that's uh, not here here today yeah. or yesterday. So, but uh, it, uh, I know there was a sum of money mentioned. Um, that, if I remember correctly, about thirteen thousand euros was spent. Yeah, on it. Was, yeah, I mentioned you know? that week on the week before yeah. on the champions. They yeah. seem to have dug a drain on the inside of yeah. the, the I, I, which is yeah. on private land. So I, I would imagine there there, there yeah. was cooperation uh, yes. in relation to that. I think they dug a lot of gravel, a big soap pit, and yeah. Yeah. stone. Yeah. That's right. Mm. So yeah. we 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 can probably guarantee to future visitors to uh, to Mgrani Scarif. <laughs> That they won't hopefully be splashed again <laughs> by any dirty water. Not, not and to reassure that, them. That, that part the water is the case. But I, I suspect, Luke, you'd still keep an eye out uh, <laughs> as you the, approach the, the school. Of that, there's little doubt. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a problem of um, on the same column, actually, that under Dan Danaher as well, a, a much more serious problem over your side of the country, Pat, in Kilkishan, yeah. with land subsidence. <laughs> yeah. Can't jump in place about road subsidence near a bridge on the old district of Kilkishan. Councillor Joe Cooney has called on Clare County Council to carry out road improvements works on a bed section near two bridges on the L7010 of the R462 in Kilkishan. Speaking at a recent meeting, uh, Councillor Cooney said he is very concerned about the first bridge, the, the first bridge that motorists meet on the road as the road has subsided on both sides. A few people have contacted me about this and they have. They have been driving along in their cars, didn't realise there was an issue, and have hit a ditch from both sides. If, <laughs> if work is not undertaken until next year, a sign should be put in the warning motorists of a dip before the bridge. Okay, so there's a, there's a problem there as well. As Eve Madden has outlined, the Kilmore Municipal District um, engineer has assessed the road in question and confirmed that sections were where improvements works were required will be included in 2022 road works program okay so in the meantime so drive carefully <laughs> exactly so in, in the meantime they'll have to be, be careful I along I the yeah. path I, and road. speaking of bridges i know we've alluded to it before but i'd say at the september meeting of the municipal district uh, the senior engineer sean lenhan informed uh, the council's work on the construction of the new shannon river crossing and uh, and upgrading of the ballinat to board hill road is expected to start in spring 2022 uh, the costs are now in the region of 50 million 
and expected to be awarded by the end of the year. So there, the tender was published, I think, in August, and there was a return date scheduled for Friday, October the 15th. Just, just a, a just day passed. or two past, yeah. and I know that I, I read uh, that I think some of the people that uh, had expressed an interest in it were actually brought out on site to uh, further examine it. So hope would be that that's awarded. It is in the whatever twenty National development plan, twenty forty yeah. plan. Yes, and uh, that's that's about it. Mm. Yeah, we need a quick. Um, we're we're almost out of time. I yeah. think like another Killaloo uh, lady, I suppose. Another Killaloo, Orla's up. wild journey of the heart, Orla Foley. Uh, David, maybe you might have. Yes. Um, tell us what that's so about. this is this is the sister, isn't it, of Anthony Foley, the deceased yeah. five years ago? I think deceased now. Uh, Orla Foley is still buzzing, according to Dan Danaher, with excitement about what she humorously labels her staycation on steroids, a 3,000-kilometre journey along the Wild Atlantic Wave for three charities on her bike. And she's pictured there in the front of the living section on her bike. Um, <coughs> and she's uh, the Killaloo therapist is still struggling to choose her favourite place from Orla's Wild Ways, which she recently completed in memory of her late brother, Anthony Axel Foley, former Munster rugby head coach, Munster in Ireland, number eight. And uh, she's raised a lot of money. Um, she's raised 8,700 euro, uh, almost three times more than her initial target of 3,000 euro. So fair play to her. Um, um, she's she's uh, like anybody to take on uh, the Wild Atlantic Way, uh, nice COVID project, admittedly, but still three thousand kilometres. Yeah, it's ahead of a cycle. Ahead of a cycle, and the money raised for uh, three charities, I think. Uh, all credit due to her, I think. Yeah. Okay, just I suppose, Pat. Just and we we can't, haven't really time to talk about it. Maybe we'll go back next week. But the the Clooney, um, Mahara, and Spansill Hill group, they're hoping to produce their community's energy master plan. Uh, yeah, yeah, Fiona McGarry, Fiona McGarry has it here, uh, Jim. An industry master plan highlighting challenges and opportunities facing the communities of Clonies, Mahara and Spencer Hill is to be finalised in December. Hmm. The ambitious project to boost the production and use of renewable energy as well as to reduce the consumption of fossil fuels is being pioneered by the Clooney Spencer Hill Community Development Association. Yeah, we so I talked to you, you talked to him before. We Jim talked, to, yeah, Tom Larkin. Uh, we, yeah. we, we met Tom on Saturday Chronicle yeah. and I think we'll, we'll have him back again. Yeah, and we might have a chat about that again maybe next week if okay. we get a bit of time. Now, uh, we're to close the programme, first of all, my thanks to uh, Luke Fleming, uh, David Fleming, Pat O'Brien. Thanks, Jim. And uh, we'll have we'll finish with a bit of music, Pat. Well, I suppose another icon uh, and world famous uh, man died during the week. Uh, Paddy Maloney of the Chieftains. Paddy, he died on Wonderlust, and he was eighty-three. So I suppose he was known all over the world. Actually, the Chieftains um, played in the Black Sticks one time. Really? They were up in Fiegel and uh, at a wedding. And uh, after dinner and all, and they came back, they came down to the black sticks and... and For the lock-in, was yeah, it? Well, they, they weren't booked there, but they came <laughs> in and they, they played away. Good stuff. <laughs> so, um, uh, with a Paddy, I suppose, uh, Paddy the Chieftains and Ricky Skaggs uh, with Cotton Eye Joe okay, to finish Pat. up. Thanks very much, Pat. Okay, join us again, please, next Tuesday, next uh, Sunday at 2 o'clock. Until then, goodbye and God bless. 
If it hadn't been for Cotton Eye Joe, I'd been married a long time ago. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe?